you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not, give, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thank, be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kyle. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's good to see you. A happy fourth weekend to you. And we have two weeks left, including tonight, on the Ten Commandments. And uh, I hope for you guys that as we've been going through this, you've developed a new or yeah, a new or a renewed appreciation for the commandments of God. Uh, a lot of times the Lord's commandments are very confusing. You know, like how do we relate to them? But as we've been seeing over and over, the commands don't earn us love from God, just like obeying a good parent isn't going to make them love you anymore. But God's commands, they give us the blueprint to enjoy him and to love other people. Um, we should see that God's commands always come to helping us love better. And so, you know, just like um, a train will have guardrails on or a train will have a, a line that it goes down, God's commands do have boundaries, but similar to the boundaries on a train, help it glide freely and keep the people safe. So God's laws give us a lane through which we can glide down and enjoy him and love other people. You know, as we saw in the first week, like, the best thing we can do for the people closest to us in our lives is to obey God's commandments because they always help us love them well. And so uh, t- this evening or this afternoon, we're going to see this again. As we look at the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, or put more broadly, thou shalt not lie. And it's interesting because I think this commandment, we've seen all the commandments are far more difficult than they first appear, but I, I think with this commandment, our culture has a higher tolerance for violating than probably most of the other commandments. So even, um, there's a, hopefully a number of you have seen Seinfeld, but there's, a, there's an amusing Seinfeld episode, even if you haven't seen it, you can probably get this, where Jerry and Elaine, they go to stay with a friend's place and she just had a baby, and it's the ugliest baby they've ever seen. But the mom is just enraptured by the beauty of her baby. She's like, isn't she gorgeous? And Jerry and Elaine are like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, she's gorgeous. And they, so they, Jerry and Elaine, they walk outside to debrief. And Jerry looks at Elaine and he goes, I mean, it's a must-lie situation. You know, and the thing is, no one's ever going to tell her that she is an ugly baby. Because who's going to say your baby is hideous? And, you know, it's amusing and funny, but in general, we tend to, you know, we make jokes about lying. And, and not just in the, you know, in the culture, but in the church as well. This is something that we tend not to take seriously. So a friend of mine was mentioning recently that uh, he recently was talking with some church leaders, and they were all part of one denomination. And the, these church leaders that he was speaking to remarked, they said, you know, really the main thing that can get you disqualified as a church leader in our denomination is either drunkenness or adultery. And my friend looks at them and goes, huh, that, okay, like what about something like if a leader's repeatedly breaking the ninth commandment? And the response was, well, everybody lies. And I, but I, th- like, that's, I think that's something that we hear a lot, or maybe we even say inside of our own heads, right, when we tell a lie, like everybody lies, 
everybody exaggerates, but God has put it here as one of the ten. Um, and those of you who have been in close quarters with someone who's a regular liar knows how, how important this is. And so uh, let's look at this commandment under these three headings. So similar to most of these commandments, we'll first ask what's included in the ninth commandment. Uh, number two, we'll ask why does it matter that we follow this command? And then number three, we'll look at how, how can we become truth tellers? Okay, so first, what's included in the commandment? Number two, why does it matter? And then number three, uh, how can we speak truthfully. Okay, so first number one, what's included in the ninth command? So notice the social component here of the commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so really what this is getting at is if you want to think about the ninth commandment, you can actually think about it more broadly and expansively by, by knowing what it's saying is to, the essence of the commandment is to ensure we are using life-giving speech as we talk to other people and as we talk about other people. That's really what this is about, okay? Using life-giving speech as we talk to and about others. And so as we think about that, now let's look at some things that are included in this commandment. And so the first thing that would be included in this is it doesn't only forbid saying untrue things, but it would forbid saying true things in a way that's designed to lower someone else's reputation, Right, so sometimes, you know, you may say something that's disparaging towards someone and you justify it, because, you know, well, because it, it, it's true. And a few weeks ago, we saw in the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, that there's something about our fallen nature that takes pleasure in the failings of others. And so, you know, just think about is you hear somebody starting to just pile on someone else and speaking of their failures. And, you know, is our instinct, I mean, naturally, is probably going to be to just let's pile on and make it a bigger snowball. But what we need to do as people who are made in God's image and been redeemed by Jesus is to catch ourselves and rather than snowball on to stop that impulse and to think, okay, am I speaking in a way that is giving, that is giving life to someone else? As we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, see in verse 29, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up that it may give grace to those who hear. So it may be truthful things, but we need to ask, is this building somebody up? Is this giving grace to the people who are listening to me? So that would be the first thing. Okay, saying true things. Okay, it's important that you finish that sentence, right? True things that are designed to disparage somebody else. Uh, the second would be silence. So if the first point catches those of us who are too quick to speak when we shouldn't, uh, this part catches those of us who are too slow to speak when we should, right? Because there are times when your neighbor is injured when you should speak and you stay silent. Okay, so if somebody is behaving in a foolish or sinful way, but you keep silent because you don't want them to dislike you by you confronting them with truth and love, that's a harm to your neighbor. Okay, if you're in a conversation and you hear somebody disparaging someone else, and you don't step in to either redirect the conversation or speak true things, that's a harm to your neighbor. Uh, a number of years ago, I remember I was in a situation with a couple where the husband had cheated on the spouse. And they were in a situation where the wife was in a circle and somebody really close to them just started piling on criticisms of the husband who cheated on her. And he was lying. And she spoke up and she said, you know, in front of other people, hey, you know, how dare you? That's not true, what you just said. 
And to me, that was, that was just such a good example where, especially for somebody who would have every motive to justify, because she was enraged, you know, as, as she should be at her husband, but she demonstrated in that moment not to fall in the temptation to lie just because her emotions said she wanted to. And so she spoke up, right, to still protect someone made in the image of God while still not minimizing the sin that they had committed. And so for those of us who, you know, some of us, you just, you love telling the truth. Others of us, we don't like speaking up just because we're afraid how people are going to respond. But this commandment is calling us to, li- to give life by speaking. Uh, next, how can we, there's going to be a lot of bullet points in this sermon, just, just so you know. Um, what, what's another way that we can violate this commandment? And another way we violate this is by shifting blame at our neighbor's expense. Okay, so we love to take responsibility for something when it benefits us and gives us glory, right? That would be another way of bearing false witness, right? Taking credit for somebody else's work. But another way we break this commandment is when we're caught in something, we shift blame onto someone else, right? And so, yeah, I was being mean, but you were being really stubborn, okay? Or yeah, I used crude language, but I had had a lot to drink, right? Okay, so now you're, out, you're harming the person you're, you're talking to, and so anytime we want to minimize and say, yeah, I did this, but, okay, now we're blame shifting. And when you look at King David, you know, we walked through First uh, and Second Samuel back in 2020, and the reason why David was called a man after his own heart is because even after he was caught in something like bringing Bathsheba into his bedroom, when Nathan confronted him, you know, David didn't say, well, Bathsheba made me do it. Or, well, you know, it's been a really hard few years being king, and no one understands me, so I just had to do something to, to, to help myself. No, what he did is he said, I have sinned before the Lord. Okay, and so part of following this commandment is we, we take ownership and responsibility, okay, when we wrong somebody else. And then number four, um, what, what's another way that we can break this commandment is through misleading. And this may be one of the most common ways we, we tend to break this commandment. So any half-truth or exaggeration that's designed to deceive in some way. So I'm sorry I was late, but I hit traffic. No, you're late because you left late, and then you didn't hit all the green lights like you wanted to. <laughs> you know, so just call it for what it is, right? I didn't see your email. I would love to get together with you, but I have an appointment. Or my favorite, I'm five minutes away. Okay. Yes, honey, I, yes, it's 30 minutes, but really, I'm only five minutes away. <laughs> this was something I was, that Kelsey really had to call me to the mat on earlier on in our marriage. Okay, and this, we shouldn't take these things lightly, right, because this is violating the ninth commandment. And so as we look at all these things, right, speaking true things in a way that lowers someone else's reputation, silence, blame shifting, misleading, the point here is, Simply, we should, be very, we should be very mindful of our speech. Okay, we shouldn't be so quick to just put out an exaggeration, a half-truth, blame shift, gossip. Okay, we should be very, very careful with our speech. These are just a, a, this is just a sampling of the ways that God calls us to speak life according to the ninth commandment. So next let's look at why does it matter. Okay, so if the data shows that we tend to take lying lightly, okay, more lightly than murder, adultery, why does it matter so much to God? All right, and so the first reason it matters to God is because it frays community. So think about the power of this commandment. 
very few churches have been torn asunder by an act of adultery in the congregation, but many churches have been torn apart by deceivers and gossips. Think about most of the strife in your life, right? It might be in the community of your family or the community of your work environment or in the community of a relationship you have. Usually it's a result of deceptive, disparaging, or foolish words, right, that tear down rather than give life. And, I mean, we've always seen this, but now even more so just with how readily available news is, we're seeing this on a nationwide scale, how lying phrase community. So, I mean, think about the amount of societal fragmentation and distrust there is right now because there was a sitting president who lied about the outcome of an election. Or, okay, I'm not telling you to vote for a political party, but since I just poked at the conservative side, I can poke at the liberal side too. You know, think about lies that are told in liberal academic circles. We're the inclusive ones. Okay, we're inclusive if you look differently than us, except don't you dare think differently than us, or else we'll ruin your entire career and shout you down. Okay, think about how lies and deception utterly fray community. And so, to bring this down to the ground a little bit more, you know, as we think about being truth-tellers, this is why we shouldn't take things like even the, the small lies that we justify are not small, because what they do is they contribute to this kind of environment where the much bigger and more severe things take place through people lying. Okay, so it, it phrase community. Uh, next, you, you harm the listener, the person who's hearing your lie or hearing the disparaging speech that you're giving. Why? Because anytime you lie someone, you're treating them as an object rather than a person because you're keeping them dependent on you and you're shading part of reality. Okay, so you're, you're using them as a means to an end. So you're harming them and obviously you harm the object of your speech, right, by the things that you're saying about another person. So you harm the person who's listening to you, you harm the person that you're speaking about. Number three, why does it matter? Because God hates false speech. Uh, it's amazing how many times in the scriptures God harshly condemns liars. And one place is, and you could, if you could please bring up the slide, that would be great, is in Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verse, six th- verse 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, a lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies. And it's telling that in that short of a that that short of a list, two of the six relate to lying or people that use speech that tears down rather than builds up. And that should sober us, right? Because no lie or gossip is innocent because the Lord hates it, and God sees through the best of poker faces, so he'll catch every single lie that we tell. Okay, so God hates it. And then number four, Why does following this commandment to use life-giving and truthful speech matter? Uh, Because, number four, it distorts you. And this is an aspect of sin and disobedience that I don't think we give enough consideration to, because as we think about disobeying God's law, we often think about, okay, well, yeah, God doesn't like it, so I'm not going to do it. Or this might hurt somebody, so I'm not going to do it. And those things may often be true, but as importantly, something we don't consider enough is what it does to ourselves 
any time we disobey God. And so as we look at anything, we always have to ask, what type of person is this action forming me into? Okay, when I read this or watch this or do this, what type of person is this forming me into? Because every time we act, it pushes us in one direction or the other. Okay, so when I speak falsely or disparage, what kind of person is this forming me into? And so as we think about speaking truth and words that build up rather than falsehoods and words that tear down, when you speak a falsehood or something disparaging, who does that make you more like? Satan or Jesus? And this hit me like a thunderbolt this week. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to deceivers and liars. And he says, Satan is the father of lies. And by you lying and speaking in a disparaging way, you are walking in his footsteps. And so therefore you're revealing that he's more of your father rather than God being more of your father. So Jesus doesn't mess around with this because he knows who it makes us like. Okay, when we, and, and think about how Satan sent the world into a, to, into a tailspin. Why is the world so painful? Why is the world so often so confusing? Did Satan begin with murder or assault? It was a lie. That's what started all the pain that we feel in this world. And so Jesus wants us to be truth tellers because they make us more like him. And so it enables us to love others as he first loves us. And so I hope, maybe this is heavy, but I hope it's heavy in the best way possible to sober us and to help us think more about do we only use words that give life and that are truthful? And so next, let's look at number three. Um, if we're called to give life-giving and truthful speech, uh, what are some ways that we can practice it? Okay, because it's not just enough to, because you can use the truth in a way that's used as a weapon rather than to heal. And so how can we be people who speak the truth? And I mean, there's so much in this commandment. Let's just look, let's just, let's just look at a few. Uh, so the first would be, we need to make sure, so yes, first our words need to be truthful, but next they need to be gentle. Our words need to be gentle. So see here in Ephesians 4, he's talking about speech, and then in verse 32, Paul writes, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. So that's another word for gentle. And what he's saying here is tender-hearted doesn't mean you're always nice, where people always love what you're saying. But what it means is anytime you speak the truth to somebody or about somebody, it should be so clear to our listeners that our words are done with a shepherding motive, you could call it, that even if you're saying something hard to someone, it's clear that the reason you're doing it is to help either illuminate their mind or give them life or decrease the barrier that's between you and that person. And so a, a clear marker of followers of Jesus is that we should use gentle speech, especially when we're in conflict. Okay, notice he doesn't say be kind to one another, tender-hearted, unless the person across from you hates you. Okay, we're always called to be gentle with our speech. doesn't mean we're nansy-pansies, but we, we always need to be gentle. And the thing here with gentleness is it's not only right, but it's practical too. So, Anger isn't compelling or persuasive. Gentleness is. 
When you're in the middle of a hard conversation and you respond kind for kind, it only throws gasoline onto the fire. Okay, malicious speech may be persuasive to those who are, who are already on your side, but they're certainly not helpful nor persuasive to the person listening to you. Gentleness is powerful. Why? Because nothing is more compelling or persuasive than grace. And so our, our truth-telling needs to be gentle, especially in conflict. Okay, so truthful words, gentle words. Number three, how should we speak life-giving words, truthful words? Our words should be apt. We should have apt words. We see this in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits, as is fitting, or as is apt for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So how are you going to give grace to somebody who's listening? You need to make sure you use fitting words. You need to use apt words. So it's not enough just to be even truthful and gentle. We need to do everything in our power to pray through and think about and shape our words so that we give our listener the best chance of hearing what we have to say. And as a a wonderful example of this that I experienced, uh, a number of years ago, uh, Kelsey and I were in a situation where she needed a lot of help with something, and she gave me permission to share this, and she didn't even know that she needed help, and I wasn't in a position where I didn't have the ability and, and certainly not the power to be able to help her with what she was going through. And so we got together with a friend, and this friend sat down by our side and looked Kelsey in the eye, and they started by bringing us into the world of Harry Potter. Why? Because they knew that Harry Potter is one of Kelsey's favorite stories. She's read it over eight times. And they showed her how her situation and her mindset, how there are parallels with these characters in Harry Potter and why she needed help. And not only that, but how there was genuine hope and renewal to be found for her if she would listen and start walking down a certain path. And you could see it, a, a light turned on in her head. And, you know, what would have happened if they just came in and said, all right, Kelsey, here's the truth and here's what you need to do? No chance she would have heard or listened. But, I mean, I was in tears because this person took the time ahead of time to pray through, how can I speak to Kelsey in a way that she'll hear? And so for us, as people who've been first extended love by Jesus, the burden is on us, especially in high emotional, high stakes conversations to do our best to shape our words okay, so that the person across from us can actually hear. Okay, so gentle words, apt words, few words. Okay, our words need to be few. So Proverbs ten nineteen, if you could please put that up there. When words are many, sin is unavoidable. makes me want to just close in prayer because I'm just going to keep speaking words. (laughs) This is something we need to stamp into our hearts, right? Because generally speaking, the more we speak, the more harm we do. And so we should always err on fewer words rather than more. And what I love about this, this commandment in this passage is the order 
of these things helps us here. Because think, imagine as you go through the list and before any word comes out of your mouth, you think, is this going to give life? Is this truthful? Is this gentle? Is this apt? Suddenly you realize you probably don't have many words to say. (laughs) Okay, and so as those who know Jesus, our words should always be fewer rather than less, whether even in the good times, but especially in times of conflict. All right, and then number four, uh, how can we speak truthfully? Uh, Not just gentle, apt, few, but they need to be Christ-empowered. Our words, our speech needs to be Christ-empowered. And it's interesting because when you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and this is where Jesus expounds on the Ten Commandments, and we've looked at a lot throughout this series, and including he gives a section on speaking truthfully. The first line of the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus never speaks without thought. And so there's a reason why he starts there before giving this sermon that's very hard to follow. And so what does he mean by blessed are the poor in spirit or those who have poverty in spirit? So to be poor in spirit means you approach God and you live life knowing that you have nothing to bring to God other than your need for the righteousness of Christ, and for his commitment to you to be the thing that keeps you in the kingdom of God. And the reason why that matters is because, one, we can't even be brought into God's family unless we admit that we're poor in spirit and that we need the righteousness of Christ. But we can't even obey these commandments unless we have a vivid recognition that we are are poor in spirit. And so here's how it relates to this command on truth-telling. A primary reason that we lie, and here I'm drawing from a pastor, Rich Velatis, who who talks about this a little bit, is because we spend so much of our energy in life projecting an idealized version of ourselves and then doing everything we can to protect that image. Okay, so I'm a, the projection is I'm a moral person, so I'm going to cover or not let you see the full extent of my sins and flaws. Okay, or I'm a strong person, projection, so I'm not really going to let you see how small and inadequate I feel. Or projection, I'm a dependable person, so I'm going to lie about why I was late. Or I'm going to shift responsibility when suddenly a promise wasn't very convenient for me to keep. And on and on it goes. So we, we project this idealized version of ourselves, and what Jesus has come to do is he's come to free ourselves from that. Because when we go to the Lord with a recognition of, I am poor in spirit, i.e., I'm not projecting an idealized version of myself, I'm just coming to you, Lord, as I really am, it's precisely then that God accepts you as you are and loves you as you are. And that's what Jesus means by you're blessed and you're given the kingdom of heaven. Because when you, got, when you come to God and say, I'm poor in spirit, I have nothing to bring, I need the righteousness of Christ, it's precisely at that moment that God blesses you with a stable and prized identity. Because now you're no longer this insecure individual who's projecting, but now you know you're a citizen of the kingdom. You are a daughter or a son of the king. Okay, you are given an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade. And we know this is secure because Jesus is secure. When you look at the life of Jesus, the thing about Jesus is his words are magnificent. 
He only speaks truthfully. He only ever spoke in a way that gave life. Even his enemies in John chapter 7 said, no one has ever spoken like this man. And then how was he rewarded? At the end of his life at the cross, in response to his why, he was given the treatment that your and I's failed words deserve, the silence of God. So that when you go to Jesus and say, I am poor in spirit and I need you, he raises you to a new kind of life that actually gives you a new heart that enables you to speak truthfully and in a way that's life-giving. And as we saw in Hebrews, it's not just Jesus in the past, but think about how Jesus speaks to you today. His words to you are always truthful, absolutely gentle, apt, and yes, even few. And it's the heart that experiences grace that becomes the heart that can give grace. And so, weigh your words in light of the words spoken to you by Jesus in the gospel. And you'll find that you too will have words that aren't only truthful, but will become more gentle, apt, and few. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for how you speak to us. Um, Lord, so much of why we lie or why we put down others is because uh, we believe the lie that Satan told in the very beginning, that we're not lovable and that we can trust you. And so I pray that um, just everything about your true character will hit us home in a new way this evening, that we'll be so made anew and refreshed by who we really are uh, through your son Jesus. I I thank you for how you speak to us, and may you make us a people who speak to others as you always do for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.